This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Nine to four at home. A loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Faint chance of fire Donnie in the background. We'll be talking plenty about the Buffalo Sabres today. Tough one yesterday, but it's off season for the Swords. Uh, we'll get into this uh, coming up in a couple of moments with Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, former NHL or former Stanley Cup champion uh, as well. A number of intriguing games with intriguing results and storylines along the way last night around the NHL. Uh, treated to 11 games last night, three tonight. And on uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey, it's the Red Wings facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. The Islanders also face off against the Washington Capitals. Uh, in that one, by the way, congratulations. Ivan Moroshnashenko will make his NHL debut with the Capitals, uh, who today had Ethan Bear skating with them. Caps are expected to sign Ethan Bear uh, once he's all done recovering from his shoulder injury. Also, the Seattle Kraken face off against the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, but from last night, I mean, a couple of things that were, you know, certainly troubling if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan that hasn't gone great for you so far this season. Expectations were high for the Buffalo Sabres, ready to take that next step. But now, pretty much everything is on the table for scrutiny and everything is on the table for review. And I would imagine as well, maybe a lot of Buffalo Sabres have their tickets for Thursday on the table as well. Expect, uh, as someone just texted me a couple of seconds ago, expect a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs fans at the game on Thursday as the Buffalo Sabres uh, fans looking to get rid of their tickets as they're looking to get rid of a lot of things around the Buffalo Sabres. You know, um, coming up in a little bit, I want to play some of the Don Granato press conference from last night. Now, the thing about Don Granato is, and you may quibble about whether he's a good coach or a bad coach or a mediocre coach or an average coach or an excellent coach. The one thing that he is is a very positive person. And even when things are bad, Don Granato has this uncanny ability to spin happy and spin positive, and that has its time and place, certainly. Um, but watching the press conference last night after the Buffalo Sabres lose, again, 9-4 to four at home in a game where, quite bluntly, the team quits. You know, Granato last night just seemed like he was defeated, and they were. Like, the team was defeated. He feels personally defeated as well. Um, a lot of those players on the Buffalo Sabres last night certainly felt defeated. There's been a lot of players calling out other players. We're going to get to uh, Devon Taves of the Colorado Avalanche coming up here in a little bit and what he said about his teammates after a disappointing loss against the Chicago Blackhawks last night. But Kyle Poso, the captain of the Buffalo Sabres, has called out players before. Um, and now you're at a place in Buffalo, not unlike where Ottawa was, uh, and you could argue still is another collapse last night against the Arizona Coyotes, where every topic is up for grabs. Every decision is being scrutinized. What happened in the offseason? Did the Buffalo Sabres do enough? Uh, is it enough of the three-headed monster in net? Um, did they rush? Uh, did they rush a couple of these netminders? Was Lukanen rushed to the NHL too soon? Uh, Devin Levi rushed too soon. I mean, maybe we should have seen this coming in a lot of ways. When you consider that going into this season, and I know there was a lot of Devin Levi euphoria, and everyone wanted him to do well. The Sabres did, the fans did, um, Canadian hockey fans, as everyone looks for the next great Canadian goaltender or any great Canadian goaltender, wanted him to do well. But we didn't stop to notice that going into the season, collectively, collectively, all three Buffalo Sabres goaltenders hadn't played 100 games. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, with that, let's get to Mike Rupp here from the NHL Network, former NHLer and NHL Stanley Cup champion. Rupper, how are you today, pal? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good. I'm thinking a lot about the Buffalo Sabres today and watching that Whatever that was last night, uh, a team quitting uh, at home in front of their fans, chance to fire the coach. We've heard that this year, certainly around Ottawa uh, with DJ Smith, and then the fans got what they want, and now Jacques Martin is there. Um, just just as a, talk to me as an ex-player here. Like If you're a member of that Buffalo Sabres team at home against Columbus, a team that's expected to beat no one, comes in and just waxes you from the uh, from the opening puck drop to the final buzzer. Like you're sitting in your stall afterwards. What are you thinking, Rupper? 
you, you're feeling like this is the bottom, right? Like this is as low as it gets. And it, it, no knock to Columbus, man. It's uh, But it's the expectations of this Buffalo team were very high. And when you're getting yeah. through this point, I mean, you're talking 30 games into the season. Like this is who we start to see the true colors of teams and who they are, what they are. Um, it's not looking good in Buffalo. So I think you sit there and you feel like that, that that's the bottom. It can't get any worse. Um, but you almost feel like, where do you go from here? So what's going to give, what's going to happen here. And mm-hmm. I feel like, it, and, uh, you know, that I know that we've gotten given a lot of attention to the, the Ottawa situation over the, the last little while. I, I feel like in Ottawa, they are waiting for something to happen. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying it's got to be a coaching situation or whatever, but you're waiting. It's almost like you're, you feel helpless and you're waiting for some assistance in some way to in, kind of inject yeah. something into the group, whether it's somebody saying something, going out and doing something, a trade, anything. You're, you're just kind of, you're waiting. And that's a bad spot as a player to be waiting around for something mm-hmm. to happen because you got to make something happen collectively. Yeah. And, you know, with this Buffalo Sabres team, like no one's coming up from Rochester to save the season. Um, you know, there's not going to be, I don't think, well, right now there's a there's a, a trade freeze on. So there's no one coming before they play against the Maple Leafs uh, on Thursday. And I think a lot of things like right now, like, you know, a lot of people are doing the audit on, you know, did Kevin Adams do enough in the offseason? You know, they brought in Eric Johnson. They brought in Connor Clifton. Was that enough? They just recently made the trade for Eric Robinson uh, of the Columbus Blue Jackets, um, you know, to do something with that Krebs and Ocposo line. But I think a lot of us are wondering, you know, did they do enough? Now, having said all of this, are injuries a factor here? Yes. Jack Quinn injured himself last year uh, working out before the draft. There was a Tage Thompson situation as well. And I don't know teams never want to grouse about injuries because that's part of the game and that's something that you deal with. But as you look at the Sabres right now, uh, again, we're sort of trying to sort of pin responsibility here. How much of it do you think is the coach? And just as an aside here, Rupper, like, if they make another decision on a coach here, like how many coaches is that in the last five years or the last seven years, like five coaches in seven years, like somewhere it needs to stop. But I mean, how much do you pin on the coach? How much do you pin on the manager and how much do you pin on the players? So, you know, I, I, I don't really pin a lot on Kevin Adams and and I'll say it in this regard, like this is a young team. So until you find out, where all these players are going to go, you still got to give them time to improve and, 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 and learn through this process. Right. And you thought that they've kind of, mm-hmm. they've kind of crossed a certain threshold last year and it doesn't feel like they've done that now. So, but I think that the, the big things last year were let's give some, we need a little, I think we need a little more, a little more bump on the back end and they go get Connor Clifton. Well, I'm a big Connor Clifton guy. I like what he brings. And they go and get Eric Johnson to get a veteran guy in here. I was okay with that. I mean, I don't think you needed – this is a team that needed to make a huge splash. The goaltending has been a big question mark. And I thought at the same time where I was okay with kind of seeing what you got by committee here. I mean, I don't think this team was at a position where you're like, all right, now's the time. Like, right? Like, now's the time last year to go and try to trade for Connor Hellebuck before he re-signed in, in Winnipeg. I just didn't feel like they were there yet. So I was okay with what happened there. I think it's more of this team has to learn how to defend. And I'm not in that room. I don't know how much attention is given to that from the coaching staff. I would assume a a good amount. Um, I'll use it from this standpoint, because I've been kind of doing a little bit of a a dig here on Matt Boldy, okay, over the last few weeks. And and we can use Matt Boldy because he's a good young player with talent that is struggling. And Buffalo's got a good good crop of young players that are still trying to learn how to – play in the NHL, not how to score in the NHL, how to get results in the NHL, right? And how to how to play in different ways. Matt Boldy under Dean Evison's right. numbers weren't great. He was frustrated. And then all of a sudden you have um, John Hines take over and all of a sudden he's, he's scoring again. And the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, well, you know, it's a clean slate. Maybe he's getting more minutes. He's getting less minutes than he got under Dean Evison. I'm like, all right, maybe his shot volume is is something that's uh, maybe shooting everything, right? He's just trying to get out of the slump. His shot volume is significantly less now than what it was under Dean Evison. He's playing less with Kirill Kaprizov and some of these other good players. So I'm like, well, what gives? So I started making a phone call 
and kind of poking around in, in Minnesota. And then I started looking at some clips. His defensive game and his commitment to his defensive game, his opened up offense, his tracking back defensively, breaking up plays, turning on the offense and scoring on the rush, all these different things. Until Buffalo's best players are willing to do that, and they see that, hey, hmm. we can manufacture offense. This is this is offense that's above and beyond. You're going to get offensive looks. You're playing 18 minutes a night as a forward, 20, 22 minutes a night as a forward. You're going to get offensive looks. You're great players. Do you want more offensive looks? You're going to get more offensive looks when you're tracking back and you're working hard defensively. I think every coach in the NHL preaches that. The players that, that, that do that, it, it permeates throughout your lineup. If Buffalo's best players can commit to fighting to get the puck back, That'll give them extra offense to show their abilities, but also they'll start being a harder team to play against. And they're just simply not right now. Uh, and, and you saw that yesterday. I, I think that looked like a team uh, that had quit, and I had never heard a press conference or seen a press conference from Don Granado, uh, the likes of which we saw yesterday. Just it, There wasn't that, I mean, you know Granado, like he puts a positive spin on on everything and just was unable to muster anything uh, last night. Okay, we'll, we'll park the Buffalo conversation in conversation here with Mike Rupp. Uh, you mentioned the Minnesota Wild, and listen, there was a lot of uh, controversy, as we like to call it, about not starting Marc-Andre Fleury against the other uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, he starts last night against the Boston Bruins. He wins the game 4-3. to three. Uh, The Minnesota Wild, Kirill Kaprizov with a pair of goals, including the game winner, David Pasternak, with a pair as well. But the one guy who's really making a name for himself quickly here, and, you know, I think we used to all marvel watching Islanders games and watching Adrian Acoin play like 32 minutes a night. And yeah. It's like, how can he keep doing this? Well, you look at Brock Faber, um, whether it's Brock Faber uh, for the Calder or Brock Faber for the Norris, you look at his last games, uh, 30-19 last night. Keep in mind, he's a rookie, folks. 30-19 against Pittsburgh, 28-18 against Vancouver, 31-34, and against Calgary, 30 minutes and 7 seconds for Brock Faber, the rookie Mike Rupp. Do you have a thought on him? He's been exceptional. He's been fun to watch. Uh, you know, he's. Uh, you're talking, we always mention when you have, right, we say that when you, when you talk about 18-year-old players coming in, whether you're 22, 23, you're a rookie, you're a young, inexperienced player, to play that position, to play defense in the National Hockey League, it's so much harder. And I'm a forward. I would gladly, I would love yeah. to say, hey, playing left wing is the hardest. It's not. It's probably the easiest. Playing defense is the hardest because there's six of you, right? You're going to have matchups that aren't in your favor, and you've got to make them, you've got to negate those situations. You've got to find ways puck retrievals you're under pressure like you've never been how do you manage that and the fact that the minutes are north of 30 in some games like are you kidding me that shows yeah. that um you know yeah. and, and that's and this is uh this is a kid that you know that trade's really worked out looks great for the minnesota wild like they've got a stud here he's got a nice build to be able yeah. to endure this schedule um i'm excited to watch him more and more and uh uh, you know, it's uh, he's a, he's a player that I don't know when we're talking about the Calder. Where a lot of these are going to be numbers-driven situations. What he's doing situationally, you, you got to pay attention to because I, I don't know when the last time we've seen this that much on his plate as a as a rookie, and he seems to just be handling it in stride. Yeah. You know, it's true. And listen, I know we're already handing the Calder Trophy to Connor Bedard. And chances are, you know, dollars to donuts, Connor Bedard's going to win the Calder Trophy just because, to your point, the points and offensively and what he does and how he does it. And a couple more points last night as the Hawks beat the Avalanche. And we're all talking about Connor Bedard. But as far as the complete player at his position. Like, I know it might feel like a little bit of a hipster pick. Like, I'm going to fill up my ballot later on this year, and you know, I'm going to look at Brock Faber, and I'm going to look at Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. And I'll tell you, if Brock Faber continues like this, and again, I know it might feel a little bit hipster, but it's going to be really hard not to give this guy the Calder Trophy. If he, again, if he continues like this, and I know it's, I know like, listen, I, I'm like you, like we all like making fun of defensemen. Like, oh, it's it's a, always a big joke. And, you know, Brian Burke, I remember Brian used to always say, yeah, before I go up to, to make a pick, if I'm taking a defenseman, I say, all right, boys, 
bring the crayons. We're drafting a defenseman and ha, 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 ha. But it's a really tough position, and it's a tough position to learn on the fly in the NHL. It's going to be really hard if he continues like this not to give him consideration, dare I say it, right up there at the Connor Bedard level. I think so, and 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 I'm I'm not sitting here trying to say give it to him. I just think that there's like you're saying, let's look at it at different angles too. I mean, Connor Bedard, he's he's the most talented, and I love yep. what he's doing. But look at it from this standpoint. Let's say the Minnesota Wild get in the playoffs. I think that's part of the story there. You have a guy that's not only one of the league yeah. leaders, defenseman, in a lot of different areas as far as ice time, uh, minutes played, matchups. He's getting those. He, on that team, he, he's kind of running away with it, right? So them to get in the playoffs. I know a lot of yeah. times we utilize and we use in the Hart Trophy voting, we use team success. Did they make the playoffs? I think yeah. it goes the same way here when you're talking about that type of workload that he's getting. I mean, when Taylor Hall won the Hart in New Jersey, why was that? Why did he? He didn't lead the league in points. He got a team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs in the playoffs. The way that Minnesota has played at times, in the way that um, yeah. they needed a hero at times, he's the guy. So if they get in, I think that's part <laughs> of the story. That's that's part of the storyline here is, uh, you know, if they can get in the playoffs because, uh, I mean, playing that amount of minutes, I mean, that is out of this world. And it's not he, – he's being comped this year to veterans, not just rookies. So, you know, I think that it's something yeah. that you got to take into account. Uh, a couple of more minutes here. I want to buzz through a couple of topics quickly. Um, Ottawa Senators, Arizona Coyotes, uh, the return of Jacob Chikrin, you know, a, a nice thank you from uh, from the 5,000 in attendance uh, at the mullet last night. Angus Crookshank scores his, his first career NHL goal. Uh, Brady Kachuk and Matt Dumba have a beauty. Kachuk's had some beauties lately. He's The parents were in the stands and always make things that much more special. Um, but at the end of it, the Ottawa Senators blow a three-goal lead. This is now their fifth loss in a row. The only thing different was it wasn't DJ Smith behind the bench. It was Jacques Martin. How do you see the situation? Maybe not just a comment on the Arizona game, but just Ottawa in general right now. How do you see this playing itself out? Oh, man. Um... You know, I think this is this is a obvious statement, a pretty pivotal point here for the Ottawa Senators because they are a team coming in this year. I mean, if I was the betting man, I'd say they're making the playoffs. You know what I mean? And uh, I thought that this team yeah. had they had some warts in their game, but that's okay because I thought when you're talking top six, arguably, I think the Shane Pinto thing really hurt them. To be honest with you, I think that hurt them a lot. You know what I mean? I Having agree. him out. I agree. Because um, when you look at the the middle of that group, I think it provided some some padding of that of their forwards. And then when you talked about the, maybe their top nine, I loved them. I loved them compared to anybody. Mm-hmm. And you know they also have grit. We know about their back end being healthy. They've added some pieces here that have come along nicely with whether it's Sanderson, Chikrin, Shabbat on the left side. I mean they've got some they got some things in place. Um, I thought this was a team that should be in the playoffs. They, they, they don't look like they're going to be. I think right now is where you learn a lot about your guys. Who do you want to move forward to? You've gotten to this point where you're a young, exciting team. you got a ton of offense. You've got X, Y, and Z, but you're missing A, B, and C. Well, who are those guys? you got to make those decisions, I think, right now. How are you going to manage this hmm. next stretch? And I think playoffs, don't, that's the, what was it, Jim Moore, the old uh, playoffs, I don't think you even mentioned that word right yeah. now in Ottawa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, playoffs, yeah. are you kidding me right now? We're trying to get a level of consistency and start defending. Start having we, – we have each other's backs physically. I love that team. They've got grit, and they'll go and stick up for one another left and right. But let's have our back with assignments. Hey, do your job. Man, let me trust that you're going to do your job. Let's figure out who's got – who's strong between the ears here. Um, you know, I think it's, it's time you just assess situations. So as far as Jacques Martin, I'm not expecting him to come in here and flip the script here. Hey, get Jacques Martin in there, get Daniel Alfredson in there, and let's reconvene at the end of the year. I don't think this team makes the playoffs. Let's make some hard decisions here because this team needs that next step. There might be some players in that room not committed to take that next step. You know, that, that's an interesting point. That, that kind of dovetails into the last question I have here for you, and that is for the Philadelphia Flyers, who just continue to win. Like, listen, Jack Hughes had a tough night last night. A couple of turnovers and a big turnover at the end. Owen Tippett scores, and the Philadelphia Flyers win again. And 3-2 is the final. Um, Sammy Erson has been 
outstanding yeah. in nets uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Carter Hart, you know, has been great for them too, but I can't help. It feels right now like Urson is very much the number one there. Uh, Ryan Paling with a pair as well. You know, when you talk about finding out who wants to be there and who doesn't, can you not make the argument that that's what John Tortorella has been doing the last couple of seasons with Philadelphia? Yeah. And, I, and I'll mention Owen Tippett. Like when, when the Owen Tippett deal happened and Tippett went from Florida to Philadelphia, I got my hand up here. I was one of the people that said there is no way that that player is going to work with that coach. Not a chance. When Cam York didn't make it out of uh, uh, out of training camp last year and Torts ripped him, sent him down to Lehigh Valley. I think he spent 18 or 19 games there before getting called back up. And then it was nothing but flowers and compliments from Tortorella. Like there's all these tests that Tortorella has for all of his players. And I can't help but thinking, Mike, this is exactly what you're talking about. This is his way of finding out who wants to be here and who can be here when times are good and most specifically when times are really bad agree or disagree totorella uh, totally agree totally agree and, and and that's part of it you got to weed out you got to weed it out and not not to take a not not to compare anything to the military it's a little bit like hell week in the military right like you you, you sit there who, who's going to be standing at the end of this who wants to be a part of this because mm. that's going to suck sometimes right but do you want to be here you want to dig yeah. into what we're trying to trying to accomplish i got one little story it's a similar situation and that's how Lou Lamarillo ran the that, show, right? This would not exist under mm-hmm. Lou Lamarillo, right? The beard. Um, I was talking last night. Uh, we're watching games last night. Players mm-hmm. doing interviews with their hats on backwards. Lou would never have had that. You can't have your hat on backwards. All these different rules, and I get it. They seem minuscule. But if you could follow, if you could follow those rules, if you can do those things, they can trust you to do your job with your ex's nose in the game. But here's the thing. I was Bobby Holik signs with the New York Rangers. And Lou Lamarillo flies me in in the summer, and he says, "Mike, this is your spot here to make this team is a big is a big centerman." Okay, I come into training camp, I feel good in training camp, feel like I have a good training camp. I don't even get into a preseason game, Jeff, and I get sent down first group to Albany. He pretty much told me in the summer, "Hey, come into shape, come in shape, whatever." Blah blah blah. I go down to Albany. God rest his soul. Yeah. Love Red Gendron. Red Gendron pulls me aside in Albany, and he goes, "I probably shouldn't be telling you this." But sometimes things happen to see how you react. Lou, this was all manufactured to see if I was disciplined, if I can do the right things when people aren't looking, right? He wanted me, hey, we're going to give it to you. Oh, just kidding. You know, let's see how you respond now. Go down to the minors. And, you know, <laughs> let's see what kind of work you put in. So yeah. I had half a season there where I had red gender and just on my shoulder, hey, it's how you respond. It's what you're doing here. And I ended up getting recalled, and I, I played in the National Hockey League, you know, halfway through that year, the rest of my career. And and that, that's the stuff here. If you're going to be a part of, if you're going to do the right things, John Tortorello will be the first one to pat you on the back. They've cultivated that. And the last thing I'll say, you've got teams with a ton of talent. We mentioned Buffalo, Ottawa, you can say Detroit, these teams. Yep. Is it better to have the right group? and playing the right way without the talent where there's an expectation of what all of our games look like every night and we're not riding the roller coaster get that done now let's infuse some talent on top of that it looks like philadelphia is doing the right thing right now they look pretty good Uh, They do. This is one of the more interesting rebuilds. I've been saying, like, you ask any owner in the NHL if this is the kind of rebuild you'll sign up for, where we're going to learn to play a different way, we're going to restock the shelves with prospects, and we're going to make the playoffs. I think there's about 32 general general managers and owners specifically that'll say, yeah, you know what? That's the kind of rebuild I want to sign up for. Uh, Rupert, great stuff as always. Uh, Best of the holidays to you and your family. Uh, Be well. We'll catch up in the new year, my friend. You be good. Yes. Thank you. Happy holidays, Jeff, to everybody as well. There he is, the great Mike Rupp, former Stanley Cup champion, analyst with the NHL Network, and one of the best in the industry. Matt Marchese, you know, we always talk about, you know, guys that make that transition from on the ice to behind the microphone and on the camera. Man, Mike Rupp made that transition really, really smooth. I I, I love having Rupper on. Oh, he's the best. And the other thing, too, is, like, you talk about guys that have done that. Uh, Brian Boyle is another one that has done that really well. Um, Callahan. Uh, Callahan. Yeah, Callahan, Thomas Hickey, Corey Schneider's been really good. Like, yeah. it, it's it's nice to see because, 
there is a it's a it's a refreshing thing to have guys that just played that are doing that analyst type role and you learn a lot because and this is no disrespect to guys that have play, that played you know five ten years ago but the game changes so much so often right and these things these guys sure. are in the room for these things so no they're doing a great job and and kudos to them because they're uh, they're a lot of fun to watch and listen to you know who's next and this will hit you at a place where you live because you're a football guy Who's that? The Shens. The Shen cast. When they're all done. You can't see Luke. You can't oh, see Luke and Braden doing yeah. the Shen cast. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll tell you who's another one. And we had him on this show a couple of years ago. Uh Ryan Strom is gonna have a, a job in, in this industry oh, yeah. once he's done too. Excellent talker, very well thought out. Like I think yep. there's I think there's a lot of guys that are capable of doing it. But I think it's just like mm-hmm. for some guys, just like once the game is done, it's like I'm I'm good. Like people don't need to hear my opinions. I'm going home, and that's it. And that's fine. Um, we do kind of get robbed of that, much like we get robbed of you know GMs, like you said, that don't write books. It's kind of the same thing for me. It's a wealth of knowledge that we hmm. don't have access to sometimes, and uh, it would be really cool. You know what the problem is? They can't take the pay cut. That's, that's the problem. Very, they can't but, take the big guy. Hey, do you want to work in hockey media? Yeah. Do you want to see how much you make in hockey yeah, media? Yeah, that's a good point. Because I, I thought about that concept Hold on for a second here. <laughs> I thought about that concept because in you know, when you talk about uh the NBA or the NFL, um, even major oh, yeah. league baseball, like there's some guys that are the best ever that are they're doing it, right? So I think that's I do think that's part of it, but for some guys it's just like nah. I, I'm good. I, I always maintain that a lot of the, a lot of like the, the basketball guys get it because that's all about keeping their exposure up and then maximizing their exposure elsewhere. Shaq is the master of it. Park oh, yeah. is the master. Like these guys understand it better than anybody. Um, back to hockey. One thing I haven't mentioned so far. We only got a couple of minutes here. I got to get to break. Um, Megan Mickelson on the other side talking about the Flames. Greg Wyshynski still to come. Cassie Campbell, Pascal as well. Uh, the Oilers have now lost three in a row. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, well, it it is kind of a oh because you know they were you know five minutes ago within one point of the Arizona Coyotes for the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. Uh, they lose two games, another five points back, and then they lose again last night, three to one to the Islanders. Uh, no shame there. Islanders have picked up points in fifteen of their last seventeen games. They're playing some great hockey, but still, like the Oilers cannot afford any extended losing streaks. And now this one's at three. I'm not sure how much of last night's game against the Islanders you saw, but what do you make of the Islanders losing three here? No uh, bueno. Yeah, a little, a little bit. I watched a little bit of it. And, you know, it's just – I know some people will they, – they point to mistakes that they make, and I'm talking about the Oilers. But for me, it's just going to come down to this team has to score goals. It, they're they're not they're not built to be this defensive juggernaut and and when they're not scoring they're definitely not going to be keeping them out of their net and I don't put all of that on the goaltending some You're, of that is their defense but I, I for me if you can't score goals and get scoring from the bottom of your lineup then you are in deep trouble because it can't just be Connor and Leon and Zach Hyman all the time either. I I still think you're kidding yourself if you don't think they need a goaltender. Hundred percent. Like still, uh, I, I I know it's a, it's a three to one final score last night, and you know you're not going to win games if you only score one goals, but goal. But you know I I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think that. Jeff, just a, just in addition to that too, goaltender. Just in addition to that too, you talk about needing a goaltender. Like when the Oilers, when we we all knew they needed a goaltender earlier in the year, when we all knew that, not too many teams had like goaltending issues. Now look at the league. Everybody needs a goalie. So now try and go out and find one and see how I difficult know. that is. Like if there was a time to pounce, I know it wasn't easy, but it was probably earlier in the year. Now it's so much more difficult to go get a goalie. So now you know which team maybe specifically is in the driver's seat with regards to the goalie market? Is that? Calgary. Yeah. Calgary Flames. Whether it's Markstrom, welcome back healthy, Dan Vladar. I mean, somewhere down the road, Dustin Wolf is going to be a significant member of this Calgary Flames team. We'll uh, hit a quick break here. And speaking of the Calgary Flames, we'll talk more about them here in a couple of moments. Uh, Flames analyst for Sportsnet 960 and Sportsnet three-time Olympic gold medalist Megan Mickelson. 
uh, is going to stop by to talk about the Calgary Flames. Also coming up, top of hour two, Greg Wyshynski. It's Wednesdays after all, MVSW time again. And Cassie Campbell-Pascal, who has left us here at Sportsnet to become a PWHL uh, advisor. Uh, So we'll talk to Cassie about her time here and her time at Hockey Night and some memories. And uh, looking forward to her role at the uh, the Professional Women's Hockey League. Listen, that season's getting underway in January. That's awesome. So Cassie's still to come. Uh, Greg Wyshynski's still to come. Megan Mickelson here in a couple of moments. We're talking Flames. Who's staying? Who's going? How are they playing? Mick comments and moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Also, wherever you get your podcasts, Merrick Show returns. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Standing by for Megan Mickelson. Analyst for the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 960. Want to remind you quickly tonight, Wednesday night hockey, Red Wings facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Who's left on that Red Wings team between injuries and suspensions? Uh, Islanders facing off against the Washington Capitals. Ivan Moroshnashenko makes his NHL debut for the Caps in that one. And the Kraken face off against the powerhouse Los Angeles Kings. Uh, In the meantime, the Calgary Flames coming off uh, an impressive victory uh, over the Florida Panthers two nights ago. uh, Waiting because Thursday they will face off against... Uh, the almighty Anaheim Ducks, who have been known to surprise a team or two along the way. I uh, thought it'd be a good time to have a quick little snapshot on where the Calgary Flames are at. And for that, we default to Megan Mickelson, three-time Olympic medalist here. Uh, Mick, how are you today? Thanks so much for joining me. I'm great. I'm uh, just at the Saddle Dome right now watching practice. Are you going to miss that place? You know, like, the building does have a lot of character, but this is also where I uh, blew my knee out three years ago. So, no, I will not miss the place. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I always, I always have yeah. to remember three-time gold medalist, one of the best the country's offered up. I, I guess certain buildings have certain charms and uh, other buildings don't. What was, your, what, was your, hang on, what was your favorite building to play in? Oh... I mean, it's tough to beat uh, the Vancouver 2010 Olympics in uh, playing. It was called GM Place at the time. So that, to me, that really stands out. But also, uh, when we played in Ottawa at at the rink there where the Senators play, that was a good one. We had a massive crowd there. Um, So I would say those those are probably the top two. But I also liked uh, with the national team when we would play um, against boys teams throughout the season. And we would go to like the small town, rural Alberta rink and, you know, they're teeny tiny rinks, right. And it's, you know, there's 500 fans in the stands, but it was just crazy. So the atmosphere because of that was really cool too. Hey, just as a side, because you, uh, you mentioned Vancouver 2010. How much trouble did you get in for uh, like your team for the cigars and beer? <laughs> well, we almost got kicked out of the Olympic Village, actually. Um, it, was, it, it was, I mean, it was crazy because, you know, after a championship game, obviously you're celebrating and you're up late and you have a good time. And we woke up the next morning and we had a message from uh, our coach, Mel Davidson, and said that we were. We were in a bit of hot water, and it was all over the newspapers, and so we had to have a, a oh, big yeah. meeting. And yeah, we almost uh, we almost got hoofed out of the Olympic village, but it actually wasn't even <laughs> for the, the the beers and the cigars. It wasn't for that. It was because we showed up at the CBC studio in the wrong apparel. So they're very they're very specific. Like after you ah. win a medal, in terms of what you have to wear to the studio so we showed up in in the wrong clothing so that was yeah it was a, that was a tough day <laughs> tough day listen you gave you you gave canada great memories don't worry about the uh the, the okay. tiny little issues of cigars and beer and showing up in the in the wrong duds uh, gave a, gave the country a great moment uh, a number of great moments as a matter of fact and speaking of great moments okay if i would have told you at the beginning of the season 
that you and I were going to sit here on Wednesday, December the 20th, and I was going to tell you, Mick, at this time of the year, I can see Calgary's top two goal scorers being Yegor Sharangovich and Blake Coleman. What would you have said? Oh, well, Yegor Sharangovich, maybe, uh, just, you know, because of watching him in training camp. He was super impressive for me and watching him shoot the puck. And that was something that stood out right away when watching him. So for him, I wouldn't be surprised. But Blake Coleman, I mean, that one sort of come out of left field. And they're actually, they're playing playing a three-on-three down low battle drill to start off practice. And, like, he's making moves that I, in the years that I've watched the Flames, like, like, I've never seen him make those kinds of moves, but... It's been it's been really interesting watching him and what I love about his game is just the details and the consistency with which the way that he plays. Like you know what you're gonna get from him every single night and like he doesn't take a second off when he's on the ice. So it's nice to see a guy who works that hard uh, and pays so much attention to the details of the game. It's nice to see him get rewarded, but he's also talked a lot about the fact that this is the first season in a really long time that he's actually healthy. So he's finally hmm. feeling a hundred percent out there. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting watching him, and yeah, just the the consistency and the confidence also, and the plays that he's making with the puck. Just, a ton more puck patience and poise and just a confidence to make plays. So, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have been super surprised with Sharon Govich, but Blake Coleman has been uh, hes been yeah. a very pleasant surprise for everyone in Calgary. Uh, so, uh, Sharon Govich has made everybody forget about Tyler Toffoli, I guess at least recently. I mean, uh, you mentioned the skill set already, and you know, people in, uh, in in New Jersey, I think, could pretty much see the writing on the wall that once Timo Meyer was, you know, on the scene and going to sign an extension, that was probably it for Yegor Sharangovich. Um, but how has he sort of fit into this mix? I mean, Calgary is a really interesting mix of, of different timelines here. How has Sharangovich fit in? Yeah, early on in the season and up until, I would say, the last month or so, I think they kind of had a hard time figuring out exactly where he would fit. And, you know, part of that was because he wasn't putting up the numbers early on, and that's, I think that's what they expected from him. But it's also, like, his defensive play is outstanding. He's a very positionally sound, solid defensive player. He's great on the penalty kill. So I think they had a hard time figuring out, like, what situations they wanted to use him in. And like, he was on the, you know, quote-unquote fourth line for quite a while because he was playing so well defensively, and they were using him a lot on the penalty kill. And then once he started playing with a little bit more confidence, uh, shooting the puck more, getting himself into situations where he was getting more opportunities, then they realized, okay, this guy's getting his game going. Maybe we can, you know, throw him on, you know, the, the first power play and in more key situations. So, yeah, for me, like, it's been interesting to see the way his game has sort of evolved over the course of the season in terms of how he fit into the group. And right now it's cool because he's a guy who can play and score in all situations. Like, I was talking about him on air the other night and, looking at the goals that he scored. Like, he scored a, a shorthanded goal. He scored a goal off the rush. Yep. He scored a – it was like a high tip in, in the slot, um, what, a backdoor one, the other night a one-timer. So, he's finding different ways to score, which has been, you know, really neat to see. Oftentimes, you see goal scorers, and they're, the goals that they score often from, you know, the same – on the ice or similar situations but right. he's finding different ways to score and that makes him really dangerous because it's very unpredictable in terms of how you defend a guy like that but I think a big turning point for him in finding that offense and Ryan Huff has talked quite a bit about it is he's had to be a lot more assertive in terms of his puck battles um, and winning 50-50 battles so there's a lot more like second and third efforts on pucks as well yeah. Um, and it's allowing the guys that he's playing with, like they're keeping pucks alive in the offensive zone a lot longer. And then he's popping into spots. He's so good at 
you know, finding the places that he needs to be to get the puck to score goals. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been cool watching him. I love watching him. I just have a real appreciation for forwards that can play as well as he does defensively, and then you know, put up the numbers that he does offensively as well. So, I'm a I'm a big fan. Yeah, you know, there's there, there's one person that I talked to um, in the off season. He just lives up the streets. Former NHL of Mikhail Grabowski and Grabo always talk. And there, he's buddies with Sharon Govich, so I always say, like, "Yeah, you're always going on about Sharon Govich." Sharon Govich says he was like, "Look, Jeff, they're gonna love him there. They're gonna love him in Calgary. And if this guy gets a chance to skate, like this guy's gonna fill the net." And full full respect to Grabo, like he was right. Like Sharon Govich looks real good. Um, okay, so I, I think one of the things that everybody is wondering here is. You know, there's going to come a time in the season before the trade deadline approaches, and maybe the, it's the players that ultimately make the decision for Craig Conroy, where the Flames have to decide which direction they're going in. There are expiring contracts, and we've talked a lot about Tanev and Hannafin, and uh, Lindholm certainly top of that list as well. Um, is this just going to be a matter of the players are going to decide what Craig Conroy's decision is, i.e., if they win, everyone's staying. If they lose, everyone's going? How do you see this all shaking out? Like, I, I can't help but think of like, a, a team like the St. Louis Blues and Doug Armstrong, you know, no matter where the team is at trade yeah. deadline, if they're in the playoff picture or out of it, if he decides that he doesn't have the team, he'll move guys. Like, if that's how Stastny got to Winnipeg. Where do you yeah. think Craig Conroy is at with this team? Yeah, I mean, I think he's ready to make moves, but I don't think, like, from what I've heard, the right opportunities and the in terms of what he would get in terms of trade value, those opportunities haven't presented themselves. And with the guys that you look at, you know, who's available, I mean, Lindholm, like, he's, he's worth quite a bit, so you don't want to... You don't want to keep yep. out on that one. You look at Chris Tanev as well, and Noah Hannafin's playing, you know, I would say the best hockey of his career, and he's young. Like, you don't want to give up those guys for nothing. So I think Craig Conroy's in a position where he's not going to make any deals where they don't get the return that they want. But, you know, it's, I think we all show up here every single day wondering if something's going to happen. <laughs> You hear all the, the rumblings and the rumors <laughs> and whatnot. And it's like, if yeah. they go on, a, you know, a, you know, four or five game losing streak, then those, the rumblings, they come up again, they start happening again. And you can sort of feel the vibe around Saddledome and, you know, around the players in that they know that it's like they're on the cusp and the edge of if they don't win hockey games, if this team doesn't win games, then things are probably going to change a lot sooner rather than later but you know Wilsey and I were chatting about it the other night and we had said that we thought that by Christmas time that there would be a lot better of a, an indication and an idea of the direction that this team was going to go in for the remainder of the season and I don't know that we're any anywhere different than we were a month ago in terms of you know what what yeah. is going to happen because like the Chiefs play really good hockey the game against Tampa Bay the game against Florida so you look at the way that yeah. they're able to play when they're when they're humming and when they're going, they're rolling four lines and six D, like they're a dangerous team to play against. And so how do you move guys when a team is playing that well? It's it's really, really tough. But I think the reality of the situation is, you know, it sounds as though not all three guys wanna come back. And I think that's that's the sense mm-hmm. that everyone kinda gets is, you know, does Elias Lindholm want to be here? Uh, does Noah Hannafin? I mean, he's a he's a great guy. He's so good in all the media availability, and he works his tail off. But you know, at the end of the day, does he want to be here? Chris Tanev has come out and said that you know, if the team wants him, he'll stay. And but if they want to move him, then he understands that as well. So uh, I think you know, we said by Christmas we would have a better idea, like I said. But you know, I think the reality <laughs> is that. I don't know that anyone has a better idea. There's rumbles and and rumors, and uh, but I do think that there will be some moves made um, at some point before the trade deadline. I think we're all curious about that. Okay, I've got about 
60 seconds for this answer, and, and maybe it's not enough time, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Mick. Um, okay. Is it just me, or does this team seem like they're a profoundly different team when Connor Zeri isn't in the lineup? Like, right away, this kid, he's only played like 20 games, 22 games with the Calgary Flames, but already he feels like a really important piece for this team. Do you have a hot 60 seconds on Connor Zeri? Yeah, so my hot 60 seconds would be that him coming into the lineup, the healthy competition that he's created amongst the group, and just him coming in and playing the way that he has, like it's pushing all the other guys to be better. And he brings, you know, a ton of, a ton of energy. And so I think that healthy competition that's created alongside with the energy that he brings and some of the plays that he makes, like as teammates, that's something that you feed off of. So that's definitely been a big plus. Mm. And then also when he's in, just how the lines just balance out so much better when Connor Zary is in the lineup in terms of who fits where. So that would be my, that would be my hot 60 second take on him. That's good hot 60. Uh, Mick, thanks as always for this. Um, all the best to you and your family at, uh, at Christmas time and into the new year as well. Health and happiness uh, to everyone in the Mickelson orbit. You be well. We'll check in in the new year. Thanks, Jeff. You as well. Take care. There she is, uh, Megan Mickelson, three-time gold medalist, uh, Olympic gold medalist with Team Canada, uh, now Flames analyst on Sportsnet 960 and Sportsnet as well. You know, that's a really interesting team, and I just do wonder if come trade deadline time, or maybe even before, because let's face it, and I've been part of a lot of these shows too, so I'm not excluding myself from them. Um, Trade deadline day hasn't been the most active of all possible days. There's always some tweaks and some small deals that happen, but it seems as if all the managers want to get their work done well in advance of the pressure point of the 3 o'clock Eastern cutoff. And I can't help but thinking, and maybe early January, maybe late January, This, after all, this is a league where trades don't start to get done until January at the very earliest. There is the odd one. I mentioned Eric Robinson a couple of moments ago, Columbus Buffalo, but it's very rare uh, to see trades. Uh, Vancouver's made a couple. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, the Calgary Flames have their decision and start getting moving on this uh, sometime in January, and I can't help how much thinking how much a team like Calgary could help a team like New Jersey all in one trade. Now, big trades are hard to make, um, and especially if you need retention, um, which a lot of situations would. Um, The fact that the cap is going up next season makes that a little less burdensome, but for this year, it's real difficult. It's a lot of money in, money out deals. Um, but I just do wonder. I mean, Calgary and New Jersey have made, uh, well, they made the Tyler Toffoli deal in the offseason. So I wonder about them. Just like I wonder about, you know, with Andre Kuzmenko in Vancouver, you know, I wonder if there's a home for Kuzmenko in a place like New York with the Islanders. If things ultimately don't end up working out for Kuzmenko in Vancouver and checks notes, uh, he was scratched last night and Vancouver looked real good and were very clinical in their win last night against the Nashville Predators. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matt Marchese, what are we staring at today? A Pacific Division matchup, the Kraken at the Kings. Uh, puck line is Kings minus one and a half. Seattle is six and one against the puck line in its last seven games. The total has gone over in eight of Seattle's last 10 games on the road, and the total has gone under in six of the, Los An- of the Kings' last seven games at home. The something's got to give game, Jeff. <laughs> the something's got to give game. Well, let me ask you, because I've gushed a lot about the Los Angeles Kings, and mm-hmm. I think we all know what the score is for the Seattle Kraken, and they need to get cracking on getting some goal scoring. I think Thomas Tatar helps them, at least in the short term, getting a better chance there than he did with Colorado. I've gushed plenty about the Los Angeles Kings, um, and I, I get that I'm the primary voice on the show, but still, like, what do you think of L.A.? Like, I really like this team as a playoff squad now. I didn't before. I just thought it was like, hey, they're just in there getting a little bit of playing time, but ultimately how much damage could they do? I think they can do more than a lot of damage in the playoffs now. However, again, I still wonder about them going out and getting another goaltender. Yeah, I'll be quick here. I I look at the three centers, and I still think that there's some offensive punch that they can get from uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois 
which would be a, a welcome addition, but also like they're doing it How without that kind have of we production. Been saying that I know, I know, but even How for long have even we for been career Columbus, averages, Winnipeg, <laughs> even for career averages, <laughs> yeah, um, okay, that's fair. But they, but they're also a very defensively responsible team too, which is very important, especially you know yeah. with the backup goaltending question. But Cam Talbot's been fantastic, uh, a lot better than anybody could have expected. That's for sure. Again, the pair of Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson have been, like, if you're not, you in the East, I'm talking to all you people in the East, if you don't stay up and watch Los Angeles Kings games, shame on you, because uh, that's an excellent team. And if you have watched all these games, you know what I'm talking about. Doughty and Anderson, real nice pair. Uh, that's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Don't go anywhere. Hour two's coming up. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. You know, there are just... Um some people, uh, some teammates that you work with that you're both really sad that they're leaving but happy where they're going. Uh, for me, that's Cassie Campbell-Pascal, who announced on Monday she's leaving Sportsnet uh, to work as a special advisor for the PWHL, which launches officially in January. Cassie joins me now. Cassie, how are you today? I am wonderful, Jeffrey. And I have to tell you, my brother whose name is Jeff, and you know that. He listens to your show all the time, and he said, he texted me yesterday, and he said, hey, Jeff Merrick had some really nice things to say about you. So I appreciate you, and I always have, and I always will. So thank you. Well, listen, you've always been a great teammate, and along the way, you've always given me great advice. Like, I've leaned on you for counsel a number of different times, and you know what always sticks with me? This may be, it's a tiny little thing, but I always remember this. I don't know if you, you even, even remember giving me this advice, um, and you talk to me as both a reporter and as uh, an athlete, too. Um, when I started to do ringside for Hockey Night back in 2008, one of the things you mentioned was always make sure you have gum because as an athlete, you hated being interviewed by someone, you know, coming off the ice and they have like horrible breath. And so I always remember like wherever I go now and whenever I'm holding a microphone in front of someone, I was like, oh yeah, Cassie said bring gum. Cassie said bring gum. And honestly, Cass, it'll be with me forever. You saying, look, I hated it when I was an athlete. So please do all the athletes a favor. Make sure you chew gum before your interview. I've never forgot that, Cassie. It is, you will not get good answers if you have bad breath. I can tell you, I, there was one person and I will never say the name, but this person had the worst breath every time. And it was like, I couldn't get the answers out fast enough. And I was a stickler, Kelly Rudy. And I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. He's a stickler for bad breath too. Like he brushes his teeth before like every show. And you know, he just has that. That's great. You know, little yeah. That he carries with him. But it, I always had mint. I always had gum. Whenever I was a reporter doing interviews, I always made sure that I freshened up. And that was the reason, because my answers couldn't come out fast enough when I was interviewed by this person. And I know they weren't as good as they should have been. And, um, yeah, so I'm glad I gave you some. I hope that worked for you, Jeff. I hope that worked for you. <laughs> whenever, like, honestly, whenever I, ha- whenever I have a reporter assignment, whenever I'm interviewing someone, it doesn't matter where it is, live event, I always think of you because I always make sure that I have uh, mints or I have gum in my pocket. That is that is a legacy of Cassie Campbell. Uh, a number of yeah. things you've you've helped well, me with along the way. Well, I'm glad you way. Yeah. Well, you have, and I think there are a lot of athletes out there that would like to thank you. So I'm not uh, I'm not the the bad breath reporter. Um, tell us about your decision. I mean, this is one that I'm I'm sure. You know, you don't, I mean, the thing about you is we know that you're not frivolous about anything in your career, either on the ice or off the ice or holding a microphone or, or in the boardroom. What went into this decision um, to, to leave Sportsnet and, and work as a special advisor for the PWHL, who I know you've sort of been on the sort of on the outside or fringes of as this entire process has, has moved along? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Before COVID, I actually thought about leaving TV and um, for no particular reason, just, you know, I wanted to kind of do something else. And then I, I, I started working with our national women's team and it kind of, um, it, it kind of made me feel like I was having an impact again. Like I think the media side of things, I, I kind of felt like, 
okay, I've made my impact. I, you know, I can, I, it, it wasn't fun, I guess. It just became not fun. And then COVID hit and we could do everything from home. And then I was like, okay, I, I kind of like this again. Like I'm sitting in my home office. I'm working every show. I'm, you know, we're, we were, I was doing Flames Regional. I was doing we- Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey, Hockey Night in Canada through COVID. And I thought, okay, this is really fun when you don't have to travel. And then, of course, COVID stopped and we went back to normal. And I was doing Flames Regional, Hockey Night in Canada, ESPN, the women's national team. And I was just like, wow. what am I doing to myself? And and literally almost burnt myself out. And finally just realized, like, what what is it I want to do? What's the impact? Where do I want to have the impact? And then the Hockey Canada board came along. Loved that. I loved my 11 months with the transition board. Um, you know, I felt stimulated again. I felt like I was making an impact again. And I just kind of felt like I wasn't really getting that from working in TV anymore. And, you know, I've never been a part of the PWHL or the PWHPA. I've always been on the outside, always supported the athletes and the endeavor and the things that they were they were pushing for. Um, but I never really had a position, uh, like a, a, a significant position or any position for that matter. And um, so when, when the opportunity came, you know, I was talking to my teammate, Jaina, and she's like, gosh, you really, you got to be involved in this. Like you pushed the game so much. And, you know, she said all these wonderful things. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then, you know, we we talked through things and um, I really want to take travel off my plate. So we came up with, with this Mm -hmm. role and it's going to be great. And I can do a lot of it via zoom and, um, you know, I started probably about two weeks ago, I guess, officially just on in, in on meetings with the hockey ops and the business side. And uh, I'm just I'm so excited about it. Like it's it sort of brought back that whole thing about impact again. And um, so that that's kind of how it happened. And it, it's been a great ride. Um, you know, it's curious when I put the tweet out after um, after you, you announced it with David Amber on, on Monday as part of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Um, and I got a text from someone right away who said, I don't know how Cassie Campbell Pascal isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I know this is a delicate topic for you, so I'm going to be sensitive, but how is Cassie Campbell Pascal not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? And then the follow-up text was, you know what, now that I think about it, I don't know whether I would put her in as a player or a builder. This might be a tough question, but what would you take more pride in? Like, I think we all understand that somewhere down the road, you're getting in the hall of fame. Would you rather go in as a player or a builder? You know, and again, as you know, I'm on the selection committee, so it's a little, I know that's why I know it's sensitive. I Um, I know that's why it's sensitive. I know. But for me, like, honestly, it's never been about awards and and I don't want to diminish what the hockey hall of fame stands for. It would be a, a tremendous honor, but I think, I've never thought of my career in that way. First of all, I grew up thinking that was never a possibility. So I, I you know, I get asked about it a lot and that's when maybe you think about it, but I, I've never, like, I'll, I'll never put my name forward. You know what I mean? I, I'll never nominate myself, <laughs> but um, I, I just, that to me, awards are wonderful and they're, and you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame is an unbelievable place as we all know, but it's not necessarily I guess it means you've had impact, but the actual award itself is an impact. You know, I think um, mm-hmm. that's sort of the way I think about it. If if I go in, obviously, if if I'm asked, that would be great. But um, it's been really fun pushing from the inside out to have more women. And uh, it's been a really fun process. You know, I can't discuss the process, but I got to tell you, it's really thorough. It, it's amazing to be in that room with such tremendous hockey minds from a variety of different generations um, and different backgrounds. I mean, the conversations are thorough and thoughtful and, um, you know, I think we, we wish we could put everybody in, but you, you know, you have to make choices and <laughs> I, I just, yeah. whatever happens, happens there. Like it, it won't, uh, I guess it won't diminish what I feel um, I've been able to do. So mm. who knows, maybe one day. 
Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts uh, as you know the the new league is about to launch here in in January. But um, before I get there, you know there, there was a really nice montage of some of the some of the, the highlights from your broadcast career as well. Um, and I know everybody was so proud of you that uh, that Toronto Maple Leafs game against the Calgary Flames, uh, where you uh, where you got in the booth uh, with Bob Cole. When you look back at your broadcast career, I mean certainly that's going to be one of the big highlights. But what stands out to you? Were there some moments, whether it's an interaction, a big one, a small one? Uh, something at maybe a banquet at Hockey Day in Canada. Um, what's going to stand out to you? Like, what 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 memories do you take from broadcasting? Well, so many. Um, oh boy, I think the Scotia Bank Hockey Day in Canada's were amazing. We did one in PEI, which was pretty special to me. Um, but I remember the first yep. one I did was in Nelson, BC, and our flight got canceled, and everyone was at the Calgary airport, and we were like, we had the crew, we had you know. Myself, Wendell Clark, there was a, a few other celebrities, if you want to call us that. And honestly, we, we were stuck. We weren't sure how we were going to get there. And Wendell and I looked at each other. He goes, can you get us a bus? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, I'll go get some coolers and some food. Let's get, let's take a bus. And so sure enough, it, it was like we just took over the situation and we got a bus. Uh, Hockey Canada helped me get hmm. a bus. And he went to the store. He brought a bunch of people. They got a bunch of food. We even had the passengers that had nothing to do with Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada come on the bus with us. And we ended up just having a great time yes. going there to Nelson. That was really fun. And I think, you know, doing Bob Cole, working with Bob Cole that first night, I, you know, literally getting thrown in on my second night on the job, that was just something. <laughs> and we, we've just developed such a special relationship since then. And, um, you know, he really had my back that night, which was incredible. You know, the, the Hockey Night in Canada radio show. Like, that was so fun. Bruce Shoebottom and yeah. all the jokes we used to have. Oh, my um, God. Every Thursday I worked with you. And there's just so many. And, and the thing is. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Pa- yeah, I cannot let you just gloss over Bruce Shoebottom. Because for anyone listening or watching right now, Cassie and I have a bond over Bruce Schubert. Somewhere, it was on one of the old Hockey Night in Canada radio shows that you and I were doing together. And I can't remember whether one of our guests brought it up or you brought up Shoe. And all of a sudden, it, you were like, I know Bruce Shoebottom. Of course I know Bruce Shoebottom. And that became like one of these like unique radio bonds that we always had over you know a pretty cool player, pretty tough player as well. But if you ever told me that, you know, as all those years that I, that I watched you play and you know, scooped up gold medals, uh, that one day uh, you and I were going to bond over Bruce Shoebottom, I would have said, wow, what a weird life I have. But there it was. What was the association with Shoebottom? Remember he that called into the show? That was it. That was it. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah. Because they played, and they we played was it Rochester they played together? the show all the time. And um, when he called in, we were just like, it's Bruce Shoebottom. Like, I'll never forget that. That was just so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but like I think that's great. Okay, people too, like you know, Shirley Najak and Brian Spear and Kathy Broderick and um, like I'm I'm missing people, so I don't even want to start listing names. But you know, there's so many people that like when the transition from CBC to Sportsnet happened, the voices that I would hear in my head on shows were different. You know, like when I was about to to give my 30 second you know spiel about a game to Ron McLean you know, the voice and the production side of things were just different in our ear. And then every once in a while, you'd hear Kathy Broderick go, hi, Cass. And it, it just, like, yeah. settled you down. Or, you know, when I was starting to work on the panel, I you know to work with Brian Spear again. And, um, you know, the voices were just, it, they were, it, and you learn new voices too, right? Again, those people are wonderful. Like, I've been loved working with David Zuma on the Monday nights, and he's going to be a, a star producer, but there's no question yeah. uh, moving forward. But, you know, just the, those voices, the behind-the-scenes voices that were just so important that, you know, you go for a beer after the game with production and, and the on-air people, and it was just so much fun. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for all the behind-the-scenes people, too, who really pushed me. John Einerson's a cameraman from Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. he would come with me to morning skates, and I'd be like, shoot this, shoot this, shoot that. And he was just so excited, and we just got along so well. And, you know, just the people you work with, it, that's probably what I'll miss the most. But we'll always keep in touch, for sure. Okay, before I uh, I, I let you go, and um, I, I do want to thank you for being such a great colleague for so many years. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the PWHL. I mean, I think a lot of people are excited. Uh, obviously, a lot of tickets have been sold in a lot of venues already, and that is great. 
Um, I know it's like whether it's Stan Caston or Jaina Hefford, um, they've gone out of their way to say, look, this is not going to be perfect. This is the first season, and there was nothing, as I always point out to people, there was nothing less perfect in hockey history than the first year of the NHL, where five turned into four, turned into a fire, and turned into three by the end of the first season. So I don't think anyone should expect perfection, but what do we look forward to? And, and describe, we've got about two minutes for this, describe your, your new role with the, uh, with, the, with the league. Yeah, well, I, you know, listen, I, I think there's going to be growing pains. There, there, obviously, I think that's sort of something that's acceptable. We, you know, I think the idea is not to have too many. Um, but what I'll tell mm. you just about the PWHL from getting an opportunity to meet some of the staff already, and of course I know most of the players, is there's passion. And there's a passion to drive it and to do whatever it takes to move it forward. And I think, you know, that's the mindset that's been conveyed to me is everyone on the staff is willing to do whatever it takes. And there's about 120 staff when you think about it, which is incredible considering we used to run, you know, the Canadian Women's Hockey League with maybe two staff people. And um, it was just done by volunteers and we exhausted our volunteers. And um, so that's incredible. And I think that whatever it takes, attitude is sort of what you're going to see from the players from the staff from coaches general managers is like let's get this done let's make it the best we can do it and let's learn from it each year and then from my role it's sort of a a business and a hockey upside like helping to bring sponsors in helping to um communicate uh from a hockey up standpoint be sort of another voice outside of of um Jaina and and her staff like just come in with a different perspective you know I won't be around all the time that's another thing I'm going to love about this role is is being home a lot more but just to come in with (laughs) a fresh set of eyes right and I have a lot of contacts like um, you know we're we're setting up a review process right now and a discipline committee and and that's become my role you know so just being willing to do whatever it takes and I I think that's going to be the mantra of the you know the PWHL moving forward is let's get the job done let's grow the game let's do it together and I think being together as a group and you know it's so great to see so many PHF players that are involved in the league I think everyone thought that wouldn't be the case yeah. and that was never the case that was never the idea it was about having one league with a great vision and and you know what these players have pushed for is incredible so just to work together and to grow the game together, I think, is yeah. going to be really key. And it's it's become part of the PWHL core, which it's, is nice. It, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I'm right up against the clock, but I wanted to leave as much time as possible for you. Um, Cass, very much look forward to the new league and the launch in January. Uh, thanks for being a great colleague. Thanks for being a great friend. And to any young reporters listening right now, Cassie's advice, bring mints, bring gum. <laughs> That's one of the best things you can do for the athletes. You're the best, Cass. We'll talk soon. Uh, I lost a colleague, but I still have a great friend. Thanks, as always. 100%. All right. Take care. Thanks, Jeff. There she is, Cassie Campbell Pascal, uh, the new role as a special advisor for the PWHL. Thanks to Mike Rupp, Megan Mickelson, and Greg Wyshynski. And you just heard from Cassie Davis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick. Thank you.